Section 10 of On Christian Doctrine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josip. On Christian Doctrine by Augustine of Hippo. Translated by J. F. Shaw. Section 10. Chapter 32 valid logical sequence is not devised but only observed by man and yet the validity of logical sequences is not a thing devised by men but is observed and noted by them that they may be able to learn and teach it for it exists eternally in the reason of things and has its origin with god for as the man who narrates the order of events does not himself create that order and as he who describes the situations of places or the natures of animals or roots or minerals does not describe arrangements of man and as he who points out the stars and their movements does not point out anything that he himself or any other man has ordained in the same way he who says when the consequent is false the antecedent must also be false says what is most true but he does not himself make it so, he only points out that it is so. And it is upon this rule that the reasoning I have quoted from the Apostle Paul proceeds. For the antecedent is, there is no resurrection of the dead, the position taken up by those whose error the Apostle wished to overthrow. Next, from this antecedent, the assertion, namely, that there is no resurrection of the dead, the necessary consequence is, then Christ is not risen. But this consequence is false, for Christ has risen. Therefore the antecedent is also false. But the antecedent is that there is no resurrection of the dead. We conclude, therefore, that there is a resurrection of the dead. Now all this is briefly expressed thus. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen but christ is risen therefore there is a resurrection of the dead this rule then that when the consequent is removed the antecedent must also be removed is not made by man but only pointed out by him and this rule has reference to the validity of the reasoning not to the truth of the statements chapter thirty three false inferences may be drawn from valid reasonings and vice versa in this passage, however, where the argument is about the resurrection, both the law of the inference is valid and the conclusion arrived at is true. But in the case of false conclusions, too, there is a validity of inference in some such way as the following. Let us suppose some man to have admitted, if a snail is an animal, it has a voice. This being admitted, then, when it has been proved that the snail has no voice, it follows, since when the consequent is proved false, the antecedent is also false, that the snail is not an animal. Now this conclusion is false, but it is a true and valid inference from the false admission. Thus the truth of a statement stands on its own merits. The validity of an inference depends on the statement or the admission of the man with whom one is arguing. And thus, as I said above, a false inference may be drawn by a valid process of reasoning, in order that he whose error we wish to correct may be sorry that he has admitted the antecedent, 
when he sees that its logical consequences are utterly untenable. And hence it is easy to understand that, as the inferences may be valid where the opinions are false, so the inferences may be unsound where the opinions are true. For example, suppose that a man propounds the statement, if this man is just, he is good, and we admit its truth. Then he adds, but he is not just, and when we admit this too, he draws the conclusion, therefore he is not good. Now, although every one of these statements may be true, still the principle of the inference is unsound, for it is not true that, as when the consequent is proved false, the antecedent is also false, so when the antecedent is proved false, the consequent is false. For the statement is true, if he is an orator, he is a man, but if we add, he is not an orator, the consequence does not follow, he is not a man. Chapter 34 It is one thing to know the laws of inference, another to know the truth of opinions. Therefore it is one thing to know the laws of inference, and another to know the truth of opinions. In the former case we learn what is consequent, what is inconsequent, and what is incompatible. An example of a consequent is, if he is an orator, he is a man. Of an inconsequent, if he is a man, he is an orator. Of an incompatible, if he is a man, he is a quadruped. In these instances we judge of the connection. In regard to the truth of opinions, however, we must consider propositions as they stand by themselves and not in their connection with one another. But when propositions that we are not sure about are joined by a valid inference to propositions that are true and certain, they themselves, too, necessarily become certain. Now some, when they have ascertained the validity of the inference, plume themselves as if this involved also the truth of the propositions. Many, again, who hold the true opinions have an unfounded contempt for themselves, because they are ignorant of the laws of inference, whereas the man who knows that there is a resurrection of the dead is assuredly better than the man who only knows that it follows that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. Chapter 35 the science of definition is not false, though it may be applied to falsities. Again, the science of definition, of division, and of partition, although it is frequently applied to falsities, is not itself false, nor framed by man's device, but is evolved from the reason of things. For although poets have applied it to their fictions, and false philosophers, or even heretics, that is, false Christians, to their erroneous doctrines, that is, no reason why it should be false, for example, that neither in definition, nor in division, nor in partition, is anything to be included that does not pertain to the matter in hand, nor anything to be omitted that does. This is true even though the things to be defined or divided are not true. For even falsehood itself is defined when we say that falsehood is the declaration of a state of things which is not as we declare it to be. And this definition is true, although falsehood itself cannot be true. We can also divide it saying that there are two kinds of falsehood, one in regard to things that cannot be true at all, the other in regard to things that are not 
though it is possible they might be, true. For example, the man who says that 7 and 3 are 11 says what cannot be true under any circumstances. But he who says that it rained on the calends of January, although perhaps the fact is not so, says what possibly might have been. The definition and division, therefore, of what is false may be perfectly true, although what is false cannot, of course, itself be true. Chapter 36 the rules of eloquence are true, though sometimes used to persuade men of what is false. There are also certain rules for a more copious kind of argument, which is called eloquence, and these rules are not the less true that they can be used for persuading men of what is false. But as they can be used to enforce the truth as well, it is not the faculty itself that is to be blamed, but a perversity of those who put it to a bad use nor is it owing to an arrangement among men that the expression of affection conciliates the hearer or that a narrative when it is short and clear is effective and that variety arrests men's attention without wearying them and it is the same with other directions of the same kind which whether the cause in which they are used be true or false are themselves true just in so far as they are effective in producing knowledge or belief, or in moving men's minds to desire and aversion. And men rather found out that these things are so than arranged that they should be so. Chapter 37 Use of Rhetoric and Dialectic this art, however, when it is learned, is not to be used so much for ascertaining the meaning as for setting forth the meaning when it is ascertained. But the art previously spoken of, which deals with inferences and definitions and divisions, is of the greatest assistance in the discovery of the meaning, provided only that men do not fall into the error of supposing that when they have learnt these things, they have learnt the true secret of a happy life still it sometimes happens that men find less difficulty in attaining the object for the sake of which these sciences are learnt than in going through the very intricate and thorny discipline of such rules it is just as if a man wishing to give rules for walking should warn you not to lift the hinder foot before you set down the front one and then should describe minutely the way you ought to move the hinges of the joints and knees for what he says is true and one cannot walk in any other way. But men find it easier to walk by executing these movements than to attend to them while they are going through them, or to understand when they are told about them. Those, on the other hand, who cannot walk, care still less about such directions, as they cannot prove them by making trial of them. And in the same way a clever man often sees that an inference is unsound before he apprehends the rules for it. A dull man, on the other hand, does not see the unsoundness, but much less does he grasp the rules. And in regard to all these laws, we derive more pleasure from them as exhibitions of truth than the assistance in arguing or forming opinions, except perhaps that they put the intellect in better training. We must take care, however, that they do not at the same time make it more inclined to mischief or vanity that is to say that they do not give those who have learned them an inclination to lead people astray by plausible speech and catching questions 
or make them think that they have attained some great thing that gives them an advantage over the good and innocent. Chapter 38 The Science of Numbers Not Created But Only Discovered by Man Coming now to the science of number, it is clear to the dullest apprehension that this was not created by man, but was discovered by investigation. For though Virgil could at his own pleasure make the first syllable of Italia long, while the ancients pronounced it short, it is not in any man's power to determine at his pleasure that three times three are not nine, or do not make a square, or are not the triple of three, nor one and a half times the number six, or that it is not true that they are not the double of any number because odd numbers have no half. Whether then numbers are considered in themselves, or as applied to the laws of figures, or of sounds, or of other motions, they have fixed laws which were not made by man, but which the acuteness of ingenious men brought to light. The man, however, who puts so high a value on these things, as to be inclined to boast himself one of the learned, and who does not rather inquire after the source from which those things which he perceives to be true derive their truth, and from which those others which he perceives to be unchangeable also derive their truth and unchangeableness, and who, mounting up from bodily appearances to the mind of man, and finding that it too is changeable, for it is sometimes instructed, at other times uninstructed, although it holds a middle place between the unchangeable truth above it and the changeable things beneath it, does not strive to make all things redound to the praise and love of the one God, from whom he knows that all things have their being. The man, I say, who acts in this way may seem to be learned, but wise he cannot in any sense be deemed. Chapter 39 To which of the above-mentioned studies attention should be given, and in what spirit? Accordingly, I think that it is well to warn studious and able young men, who fear God and are seeking for a happiness of life, not to venture heedlessly upon the pursuit of the branches of learning that are in vogue beyond the pale of the Church of Christ, as if these could secure for them the happiness they seek, but soberly and carefully to discriminate among them. And if they find any of those which have been instituted by men varying by reason of the varying pleasure of their founders, and unknown by reason of erroneous conjectures, especially if they involve entering into fellowship with devils by means of leagues and covenants about signs, let these be utterly rejected and held in detestation let the young men also withdraw their attention from such institutions of men as are unnecessary and luxurious but for the sake of the necessities of this life we must not neglect the arrangements of men that enable us to carry on intercourse with those around us i think however there is nothing useful in the other branches of learning that are found among the heathen except information about objects either past or present that relate to the bodily senses in which are included also the experiments and conclusions of the useful mechanical arts except also the sciences of reasoning and of number and in regard to all these we must hold by the maxim not too much of anything 
especially in the case of those which pertaining as they do to the senses are subject to the relations of space and time what then some men have done in regard to all words and names found in scripture in the hebrew and syriac and egyptian and other tongues taking up and interpreting separately such as were left in scripture without interpretation and what eusebius has done in regard to the history of the past with a view to the questions arising in scripture that require a knowledge of history for their solution what i say these men have done in regard to matters of this kind making it unnecessary for the christian to spend his strength on many subjects for the sake of a few items of knowledge the same i think might be done in regard to other matters if any competent man were willing in a spirit of benevolence to undertake the labour for the advantage of his brethren in this way he might arrange in their several classes and give an account of the unknown places and animals and plants and trees and stones and metals and other species of things that are mentioned in scripture taking up these only and committing his account to writing this might also be done in relation to numbers so that the theory of those numbers and those only which are mentioned in holy scripture might be explained and written down and it may happen that some or all of these things have been done already as i have found that many things i had no notion of have been worked out and committed to writing by good and learned christians but are either lost amid the crowds of the careless or are kept out of sight by the envious and i am not sure whether the same thing can be done in regard to the theory of reasoning but it seems to me it cannot because this runs like a system of nerves through the whole structure of scripture and on that account is of more service to the reader in disentangling and explaining ambiguous passages of which i shall speak hereafter than in ascertaining the meaning of unknown signs the topic i am now discussing chapter forty whatever has been rightly said by the heathen we must appropriate to our uses moreover if those who are called philosophers and especially the platonists have said aught that is true and in harmony with our faith we are not only not to shrink from it but to claim it for our own use from those who have unlawful possession of it for as the egyptians said not only the idols and heavy burdens which the people of israel hated and fled from but also vessels and ornaments of gold and silver and garments which the same people when going out of egypt appropriated to themselves designing them for a better use not doing this on their own authority but by the command of god the egyptians themselves in their ignorance providing them with things which they themselves were not making a good use of in the same way all branches of heathen learning have not only false and superstitious fancies and heavy burdens of unnecessary toil which every one of us when going out under the leadership of christ from the fellowship of the heathen ought to abhor and avoid but they contain also liberal instruction which is better adapted to the use of the truth and some most excellent precepts of morality and some truths in regard even to the worship of the one god are found among them 
Now these are, so to speak, their gold and silver, which they did not create themselves, but dug out of the mines of God's providence, which are everywhere scattered abroad, and are perversely and unlawfully prostituting to the worship of devils. These, therefore, the Christian, when he separates himself in spirit from the miserable fellowship of these men, ought to take away from them, and to devote to their proper use in preaching the gospel. Their garments also, that is, human institutions such as are adapted to that intercourse with men which is indispensable in this life, we must take and turn to a Christian use. And what else have many good and faithful men among our brethren done? Do we not see with what a quantity of gold and silver and garments Cyprian, that most persuasive teacher and most blessed martyr, was loaded when he came out of Egypt? How much Lactantius brought with him, and Victorinus, and Optatus, and Hilary, not to speak of living men? How much Greeks out of the number have borrowed? And prior to all these, that most faithful servant of God, Moses, had done the same thing, for of him it is written that he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And to none of all these would heathen superstition, especially in those times when, kicking against the yoke of Christ, it was persecuting the Christians, have ever furnished branches of knowledge it held useful, if it had suspected they were about to turn them to the use of worshipping the one God, and thereby overturning the vain worship of idols. But they gave their gold and their silver and their garments to the people of God, as they were going out of Egypt, not knowing how the things they gave would be turned to the service of Christ. For what was done at the time of the Exodus was no doubt a type prefiguring what happens now, and this I say without prejudice to any other interpretation that may be as good or better. Chapter 41. What kind of spirit is required for the study of Holy Scripture? But when the student of the Holy Scriptures, prepared in the way I have indicated, shall enter upon his investigations, let him constantly meditate upon that saying of the Apostles, Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. For so he will feel that, whatever may be the riches he brings with him out of Egypt, yet unless he has kept the Passover, he cannot be safe. Now Christ is our Passover sacrificed for us, and there is nothing the sacrifice of Christ more clearly teaches us than the call which he himself addresses to those whom he sees toiling in Egypt under Pharaoh. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. To whom is it light but to the meek and lowly in heart, whom knowledge doth not puff up, but charity edifieth? Let them remember, then, that those who celebrated the Passover at that time, in type and shadow, when they were ordered to mark their doorposts with the blood of the Lamb, used hyssop to mark them with. Now this is a meek and lowly herb, and yet nothing is stronger and more penetrating than its roots, that being rooted and grounded in love, we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth 
and length and depth and height that is to comprehend the cross of our lord the breadth of which is indicated by the transverse wood on which the hands are stretched its length by the part from the ground up to the crossbar on which the whole body from the head downwards is fixed its height by the part from the crossbar to the top on which the head lies and its depth by the part which is hidden being fixed in the earth and by this sign of the cross all christian action is symbolized namely to do good works in christ to cling with constancy to him to hope for heaven and not to desecrate the sacraments and purified by this christian action we shall be able to know even the love of christ which passeth knowledge who is equal to the father by whom all things were made that we may be filled with all the fullness of god there is besides in his purgative virtue that the breast may not be swollen with that knowledge which puffeth up nor boast vainly of the riches brought out from egypt purge me with hyssop the psalmist says and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow make me to hear joy and gladness then he immediately adds to show that it is purifying from pride that is indicated by hyssop that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice chapter forty two sacred scripture compared with profane authors but just as poor as the store of gold and silver and garments which the people of israel brought with them out of egypt was in comparison with the riches which they afterwards attained at jerusalem and which reached their height in the reign of king solomon so poor is all the useful knowledge which is gathered from the books of the heathen when compared with the knowledge of holy scripture for whatever man may have learned from other sources if it is hurtful it is there condemned if it is useful it is therein contained and while every man may find there all that he has learned of useful elsewhere he will find there in much greater abundance things that are to be found nowhere else but can be learned only in the wonderful sublimity and wonderful simplicity of the scriptures when then the reader is possessed of the instruction here pointed out so that unknown signs have ceased to be a hindrance to him when he is meek and lowly of heart subject to the easy yoke of christ and loaded with his light burden rooted and grounded and built up in faith so that knowledge cannot puff him up let him then approach the consideration and discussion of ambiguous signs in scripture and about these i shall now in a third book endeavour to say what the lord shall be pleased to vouchsafe end of section ten